me and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. Now, what I want you to see is uh, back in verse 10. What are the same words? Well, Goliath says, I defy, in verse 10, the armies of Israel this day, give me a man that we may fight together. So David has come out as the one spokesperson or their champion, as they say in the Bible. And he stands forth in the valley of Elah and he makes the statement before all of the armies of Israel. Hey, just send me out one dude and uh, whoever wins, they win the battle. Why put all of these other people out and actually have them have to fight? Uh, you send out somebody. I don't care who it is. If I win, uh, you guys lose. If they win, then we lose and we'll go back to where we belong. And uh, and so this is what David walks into. Now, verse 24 And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Now, at first, that seems a little odd, doesn't it? Here's an entire army looking at one guy, and yet they won't engage in the battle. And so we go forth. Well, the Bible says down in verse 28, And Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. Now David's engaging and saying, look, who's going to shut this guy up? What's going to happen? Somebody needs to go down and do something about this. Well, the eldest brother, who's already there, uh, looks at his brother David when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come here? Why comest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? And then, as most older brothers do, they, they diagnose the heart of their little brother, and they can see into their soul, and they say things that may or may not be true. I know thy pride. Sounds like he has the pride problem, to be honest. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. I know why you're here. You just want to watch the war. You need to go back and be the shepherd that daddy told you to be. Now, verse 29. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another, and he spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. When the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. And so he was sent for. He sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll please bless your word now in our hearts. I yield myself to you, Lord, this morning, and I ask for your your grace, for your power, for your spirit. Lord, to just set me aside and and that you would allow me to be, be your mouthpiece. I pray that you would settle my heart, that you would curb my speech. And, Lord, that you would be pleased. I pray again that you bless these that are here, those that are listening, that you would encourage them in their faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been discovering all the ways in the last couple of weeks that God brings us hope in the face of a world that is hopeless. Um, The first week we learned that when we're weary and we're heavy, when we're burdened down with life, that we can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we can find rest for our souls, as the Bible says, We don't have to live this life alone. It wasn't intended for that. Last week, we talked about the hope that comes in our lives through the grace of God and the forgiveness of sin when he comes, uh, when we come to the Lord Jesus and when we lay our lives open before him. And we just say, Lord, this is what I have in my heart and my life. And I need you and I need your forgiveness. We learned what that means. Today, I want us to talk about the hope that is given to us when we feel like we're facing more than we can handle. Have you ever been there? It doesn't matter whether it's a certain time of the month in, a, in your schedule at work or whether it's financial or whatever. 
sometimes in our life we come up against these overwhelming odds. And there's a reason that so many of us are drawn to stories like Rudy or Rocky, greatest series ever in the 80s, or The Cinderella Man. It's because they all have a common theme. They're all stories about an underdog. They're all stories about an underdog. Movies have made millions that portray an unlikely character that overcomes amazing odds. They're all told in different ways and all have their own unique outcomes, but they all tell a story of one thing, hope. That's why we're attracted to it. That's why we spend money to watch it or to read the book or listen to the story is because they all have that one common theme, a story of hope. The one who is supposed to be defeated turns out to be the winner. Maybe these movies do something to us because we at some level all know what it feels like to face overwhelming circumstances that we can't overcome on our own. We cheer for the underdog because somehow we feel like if they can win, then so can I. If they can overcome such an amazing situation, there must be hope for me as well. How many would agree with me that life is full of daunting situations at a time, right? We never know what's going to happen. Um, Parenting children can be overwhelming. It doesn't matter what stage. I mean, when you first have a child, the first two years, let's face it, the first three years are completely overwhelming because you're exhausted all the time. And then when they become teenagers, you're like, who are you and what have you done with my child? And that can be overwhelming. Then they get married and that jerk takes her down the aisle. And you think, this is too, I just, you know what I'm saying? It seems like the more we live, the more unpredictable life is. Juggling careers and family can be hard to do well without feeling like a failure at times. Navigating a global pandemic while trying to maintain personal faith in the face of fear can be overwhelming at times. Let's face it. I would argue that it's because that uh, I would argue that it's because these things are not meant to be done alone. And yet we feel like we need to do it alone. It's just me or it's just us. By the way, that's the devil's goal all along. The Bible's full of stories about people who, against all odds, experienced victory. There's a common thread in the stories of faith. The people were all fully aware that without God on their side, there was no hope for them. There was no hope for a favorable outcome, you could say. Left to themselves, they would face defeat. And one of the most quoted underdog stories of all time is that of David. Long before he was to be king and when he was just a young boy who just tended sheep. In fact, his father's sheep. The Bible tells us in the verses that we read that he left the sheepfold because his dad said, listen, I want you to take some supplies to your brothers. So I want you to take them up. Now, he was content just taking the, taking care of the sheep. But his dad told him to leave. And so here's this young boy, a teenager, many believe. And his daddy says, look, I want you to go to the war. I want you to see how your brothers fare. And I want you to take them these things, a little piece of home, if you will. And so David leaves the sheepfold. He's just doing what he's told to do. And he leaves and he goes along to see how his brothers are. And certainly he's going to return to the sheepfold. Just hours before David arrives at the front lines, a massive undertaking of a conflict between Israel and Philistines have have taken place. The Bible talks about them setting the battle in array. Uh, That's the old way of saying that they just simply spread out on each side like they used to do in chivalrous days and said, okay, here we are. And the other team would say, okay, here we are. 
and let's go to battle. And the last man standing is the winner. You know, the, the team that flees is going to be the loser. And, and so, uh, as I've been to Israel, like some of you have been with me there, the Valley of Elah is a very strategic place. You stand on one side and you could still pick up the pottery from this day in the, in the, in the book of the Bible and you could take that home with you. You could see this is Israel's encampment. It goes down about maybe five, six hundred feet down this hill and then there's the valley and there you can see where the river runs through it. And then on the other side is the encampment of the Philistines and you can just picture in your mind this giant nine and a half foot man standing out there with his uh, with his weaver beam for a spear and his soldier in front of him with a sh- with a shield and his coat of mail and he's just shouting blasphemies. It's an amazing place to be because it's an amazing story. It's an amazing story of an underdog who just minutes before David never saw coming. He was tending sheep and then he became a delivery boy and now he's standing there and bang, he's in the middle of a conflict that he never saw coming. This reminds us many times that we're hardly prepared to handle what life throws at us. He didn't expect it. You ever run into something that was overwhelming and completely unexpected? I mean, let's face it. Sometimes you can like, oh, you know, if we don't get we don't get in front of this, it's going to come back to haunt us. That's one thing. But but sometimes you open the door and bang, there it is. David gets out of the chariot, was not expecting to be pushed into the situation. And now he's facing a nine and a half foot giant. He's faced with something he was wasn't prepared for that morning morning sometimes that's what happens to us whether it's a phone call with a diagnosis whether it's discovering infidelity whether it's a sudden loss we don't normally see the trial coming no one asks to be placed in a position where there is no clear route to victory nobody woke up this morning and said you know lord i'd really like to be put in a difficult situation today with someone at church and really test my faith Tomorrow morning when you go to work, if you go to work, uh, you're not going to say, Lord, I'd really like to have a challenge for my boss today. I'd really like to get a pink slip in my locker. I'd really like to have something go wrong in my family today just to see what kind of a Christian I really am. Nobody really does that. No one asks for those things. If that's you this morning, or whatever has been you, then you know what it's like to be in need of this kind of hope. And remember what we've talked about, the Bible hope is not the, oh, I hope so that I get whatever for my birthday, or I hope so that this happens. The hope that we find in Scripture is an absolute assurance. And it's offered by God to every believer, and and all we need to do is to say, okay, Lord, am I wishing for something, or do I know who you are? Do I know for certain that even when something happens to me that is unexpected, that I have hope, even when I'm the underdog. Why don't you take your outlines this morning, and I want you to notice this story of overwhelming odds teaches us at least three valuable lessons about our hope as such, as an underdog. All right. So first of all, let's just consider the story the way it lays out. You'll remember now that David is saying, look, he's already said in, in verse 32, hey, look, king, don't even worry about it. Don't sweat this guy. I will go and fight. Though nobody else will, I'll go and fight. Right? And I want you to, to think that in your mind. And I want you to think that as we discover the first line. And that is, number one, hope in God provides courage. Hope in God provides courage. Years ago, when my mother passed away, I could not have been more unprepared to navigate that loss. By complete surprise, I got a phone call when I was in Israel that my mom had 
taken ill with cancer and that it was terminal, that there was no hope. And then within a month and a half, maybe two months, she was gone. She was in heaven. I I could not have been more unprepared. That day was my daughter's birthday, and I was at a park with her when I received the phone call from my sister, and I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. I, I guess I knew it was coming, but I wasn't prepared that day. Whether it's the loss of a relationship or the loss of your means to provide for your family, you have to decide at that given moment whether to accept defeat or to trust in God to give you strength to carry on. Everybody has to make that choice. Okay, I have this thing has just popped up or or, or this has happened to me. And, and though I don't like it, we all have to have a choice. We all have to make a choice. I'm either going to accept the hope that God offers and I'm going to carry on by faith Or I'm going to accept that this is just too much, that God is not faithful and he's allowed this to come into my life just to defeat me. David arrives at the front lines to check on his brothers who are fighting an Israelite army. It's at this point that he gets his first real look at what the army was facing, a giant of a problem that has put the armies of Israel, listen, in a state of fear. And fear has crippled the possibilities. Look at verse 23 again. The Bible says, And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistine, Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. Verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore. What's the next word? Afraid. They were sore afraid. You can hear in this passage, however, the determination of David. Though he's just a boy, he knows someone has to stand up to this threat. He knows that somebody has got to do something and he feels urged of God to be that individual. Now, think about it. What causes a young boy? What causes an underdog to take on such a monumental task? That is, you got to remember, as the passage lays out, that Goliath has been a veteran of war. He has been a champion since before David was born. This is not his first gig. On the other hand, it's David's first gig. He's never been to war. He's never handled himself in war. He's only gone through his own life and his own life's trials. And now he sits in front of him. But David's determination is different. It's not being crippled with fear. Here, he is acting courageously. What causes an individual that faces a monumental task, that faces overwhelming odds to stand up and be courageous. I'll tell you what it is. It's called hope. And it's not a wishful thinking hope. It is an I know so hope that you're going to show up God hope. That's what does it. Hope that he will not fight this battle by himself. Hope that that, that with God's help, there's nothing that is impossible. Look at verse 32 and you're in your passage. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, mm, I don't know if that's a good idea. Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Guess what I did? I went after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth, out of the mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. By the way, I looked at Saul and said, have you done that? I don't think so. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing yet defy the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord 
that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear. He'll deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with you. How is that even possible? What do we see that makes David so courageous? Well, since you brought it up, letter A, he draws from the previous. Where did the courage come from? He draws from the previous. What previous? The fact that when he was in a trial of his own and he needed to do something courageously, not only did he do it, but God showed up and delivered him in another impossible situation. Look, how many of you in here have ever grabbed a hold of a lion by the beard and killed it with your bare hands? Anybody? You have? <laughs> okay. I'm going to preach on lying in the next 15 minutes. No, I'm kidding. How many, how many have ever gone after a bear? I saw a bear just a few weeks ago. Didn't want anything to do with him. If I'd have got his attention physically, I probably would have screamed like a little girl that saw a mouse and slammed the door and locked it. But the fact of the matter is, I wasn't about to go out there and say, hey, what are you doing out here? He was big enough to take care of that. I knew what he was doing. He was drinking all the oil that I left. He was doing what bears do. They eat things. And I didn't want him to eat me. Well, David says, listen, I got to tell you, uh, I have experience with this God. And I know what he did for me in the past. And because God never changes, I know that same God can do the same for me in this situation. Hallelujah for that. He draws from the past. Psalm 46 and verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, listen, will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and from Hill Miser? What's David saying there in that psalm? Look, whenever I feel like I keep being overwhelmed, whenever I need courage, I just got to go back. And I remember that the God that brought Israel out of Egypt is the God that's going to bring me out of this land as well. Psalm 63 and verse 7, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. Do you hear the assurance because of remembering? What did he do? He draws from the previous. Secondly, he brings stability from a promise. He brings stability from a promise. It says, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will Deliver me. That kind of sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Kind of sounds like Daniel. Kind of sounds like the king that put Daniel in the lion's den. Kind of sounds like anybody who's ever trusted in God and been delivered. He just bring what 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 helps David to even stand there in the valley of Elah, the promise of God, that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, the promise that said. I'm going to deliver you. And if you follow me, that that a thousand are going to flee from you and 10,000 from a 100. The God that puts his word on the line, that God that says, look, you can trust me. Just remember who I am. That's where your courage draws stability from. The Bible says in Psalm 16, and verse eight, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Listen, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also, listen, shall rest in hope. Like a child who doesn't want to jump in the water, but sees their father promising not to let anything happen to them. What do they do? They jump. Why? Because of the promise of the father and of the pure, loving trust of the child. 
You see, David's courage not just comes from drawing from previous engagements with the flesh or circumstances of life, but it's stabilized because of the promises that God have made. Let me ask you a question. Is the promise of God enough for you? We can spend the rest of the day, and I could, I could do my best to exegete every single circumstance in the Bible and say, look how God promised them. Look how God promised them. Look how God promised them. But it makes no difference if we leave out of here and say, I can't trust the promises of God for me. That's why they're here. It's to show you that your life is not unique to yourself. That the cycle of circumstances and trials and tragedies have always been. And so has God. And he's been the same in all of them. When an individual has this courage, when they draw from the previous, when they're stabilized in the present promise, what happens? Well, let us see. It induces action through persuasion. It induces action. Fast forward just a bit, and I want you to turn over to verse 48. I want you to see what the Bible says here. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. I want you to really pay attention to this next line. It should be hopefully highlighted, underlined in your Bible. The Bible says that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Isn't that kind of interesting that he actually took off? It was like God said, hike, and he was doing a post right toward the, the giant. He was like, man, we might as well get this over with. I'm coming to get you, and, and I'm armed with nothing but God's promise. It, it's interesting, isn't it not, that faith from a promise induces action in a life. I'll say that again. That faith in the promise of God especially knowing what he's done in the past, induces action. You could even say this. It induces motion. It caused David to act. He wasn't willing to stand at the top of the mountain and say, I believe God. God's going to fight this Philistine on his own. God's going to bring the victory, but I'm going to stand here and I'm going to watch it. Oh, no. He said, look, I'm going to go And I know that the battle belongs to the Lord. And I know what God's going to do. David never doubted God. Because he never doubted God, he never hesitated when the time came to fight. Now, that's interesting to me. Armed with nothing but the promise of God, he runs into the valley of Allah to meet the giant head on. Where does that kind of confidence come from? I think there's a quote in your notes. I put it down because I wanted you to write it down. David's confidence comes from God's faithfulness. Let me ask you a question. How fully persuaded are you about the God of creation? I, 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 ask, I struggle sometimes when I think too much about the atmosphere, the climate of our culture, and the world at large. And I have to remember that God is not only above all of this, He's able to do anything about it that He wants to. Without that mindset, I think I'd go bananas. God sees it all. By the way, God sees it all. He knows everything that's going on. If he wanted to do any one single thing about America today, he could do it. And and I hope that you understand he doesn't need an election to do so. 
God puts up one, he puts down another. God's the one who could do anything about anything at any given time. And he's aware of it all. Now, do you derive confidence from God's faithfulness? Because if you don't, probably there's very little courage in your Christian life. And if there's very little courage, I would surmise there's very little motion. The people running into the fight here is one man in the midst of an army of men, in the midst of a king who was very well of God, armed with the promises of God. Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, and he is, who can be against us? That's the only thing he, had, he knew. 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed against him uh, 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 committed unto him against that day. The fact of the matter is, hope in God provides courage. Secondly, we learn from the from the story that hope in God provides victory. Now, th- this is when it gets super duper good. I love the story of David and Goliath. Most of us know the story, but in case you don't, look down to verse 48 again. The Bible says, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took thence a stone. Now, that that seems a little weird because of the size of the man and all the armor that he has on. And if you knew anything about the armor that day, you'd see that it it's pretty precise where this guy needs to be hit because a rock is not going to do much damage against the coat of mail. He took thence a stone and he slang it. Now, there's Bible evidence, Miss Franny, that he's a southerner, okay, that he slang it, all right? That he slang it and he smote the Philistine in the forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Here's where it gets really good. It goes from PG to PG 13. Therefore, David ran, stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him. What does that mean? Well, God says, and he cut his head there, uh, cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Now, Saul, the king of Israel, at that time, just before this, and I didn't read it, tries to fit David with armor. He says, here, I want you to put this armor on. David says, okay, I'll do whatever you want. Lord King, live forever. Puts the, king on, uh, puts the armor on, and it would be like my son putting on my clothes and standing there going, you know, this don't fit. Feels a little frumpy. Feels a little big. Dad, you need to lose some weight. I just, I, I have, I have never wore these clothes before, especially into battle. So that's what David does. David says, look, I haven't proved these. They're not fitting me because it's your armor. Armor's custom fit. And, and, and so he tries to fit him with the armor to protect him in the conflict, but none of them fit him. So as if David, uh, being a, uh, a young boy, uh, did not make him disadvantaged enough, he says, look, I, I just want you to know the only thing I'm going out there with is what I know, my slingshot and my rocks. That's all I'm going to go with. So after Goliath, the, after Goliath then breathes out threats to the little underdog, David responds and says, look, I just want you to know that I'm not coming to you with sword. I'm not coming to you with a spear, not with a javelin. I'm coming to you in the name of the, of the God of the armies of Israel. And I'm letting you know that God is going to fight this battle and he's going to defeat you. And he takes off. And man, David, as he's running down that thing, gets down into the valley. He takes that stone out. 
the Bible says it goes funk and it sinks into his forehead and that he falls flat on his face. And so David climbs up, takes that big old gigantic sword, whop, drops it off. I'll save the really good parts. But the best part is he takes the head off and he shows it up to Israel like, ah, you ever see anybody go to battle and be so jacked up, Brother Scott or Chris, on adrenaline that they just go bananas there for a minute and they lose all, right? Does it, it's not in the after-action report. But, ah, I've heard so many preachers preach this story over my lifetime and talk about the the uh, the uh, artery still pumping blood out of it, going it's like a sprinkler over the Valley of Allah. I mean, it could get really sick and gross. But the fact of the matter is, God won. The fact of the matter is, Goliath, fell and it wasn't on someone else's faith letter a you cannot have personal victory through someone else's faith Saul said look this is what I know this is what I think that you should do this is how I think you should navigate the situation these are all the things that I have seen work in other people's lives and even in my life and David said but it's not work for me I cannot I will not go into battle with someone else's faith. I've got to have my own. Somebody say amen. David said, no, it's not about your faith in this armor. It's about my faith in God. Colossians 1, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard. Saul was trying to get David to trust the king's armor. He was trying to Comfort him, listen, by his own experience. But David's faith was grown and tested in the field of obedience. What was he doing? Just tending sheep. Now look, tending sheep is not a whole lot different from being the king of Israel. Okay? That's the king's job. Protect and basically shepherd and lead this nation of Israel. But the difference is that Saul stopped believing in God a long time ago. David, however, in just obeying his daddy and God in the sheepfold, had a relationship with God. Just read the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In fact, he leadeth me in the ways of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I may walk in the valley of Elah, in the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. Why? Because thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. The fact of the matter is, physically speaking, David went down the hill with just a sling and a stone, but he had God's rod and staff with him. Amen. The fact of the matter is he established his faith long before. And he said, listen, I can't go on yours. Let me ask you this. Can you trust your faith? If that giant stood in your valley tomorrow morning. Could you trust your faith? Or would you have to look to someone else's? You shouldn't go into battle with my faith. You, you shouldn't. You sh- God never meant you to face life circumstances with your spouse's faith. He wants you to trust him alone. But it has to be yours. Second lesson we learn is that you can only have personal victory when you're fighting with the right weapons. You can only have personal victory when you're fighting with the right weapons. 
It is only when we realize that our battles are not waged in conventional ways that we begin to experience the God of heaven fighting for us. For David, just like us, this is a spiritual battle. When he went to the Valley of Elah, he did not see a physical giant fighting a physical army. He said, this cat is defying my God. That's a spiritual battle. And so he didn't go in with the physical mindset. For David, this was a spiritual battle, and it takes God's involvement to experience a spiritual victory. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Every test in life, every test in your life, every test in my life, listen to me, is a spiritual test. It may come in the form of something physical, but it is all a spiritual test of what? Your faith. Your faith in what God has done in the past. Failure or victory. And your faith in the promise of the present. That's what it is. Um, a battle between what is right by God and wrong through temptation and lust. Because remember back at the very beginning, whenever a giant pops up, whenever overwhelming odds encompass us, we have to decide, am I going to be defeated or am I going to press on by faith? Am I going to draw from the hope that my God is bigger than this, that God is faithful, who will not allow me to be, uh, not suffer me to be tempted above that I'm able? But will with that temptation also make a way of escape so that I'll be able to bear it? Am I going to trust in that God or am I going to be defeated by the God of this world? Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Over and over and over and over again. When Daniel was physically locked up, it was a spiritual battle. When the three Hebrew boys were cast into the flaming fire, it was a spiritual battle. When Noah was locked and sealed tight in the ark, it was a spiritual battle. Everything in your physical body says, don't trust, don't believe, try to find another way. But God says, no, there's only one way. It's me. I just want you to trust me. I want you to know that it's me, Noah. I want you to know that it's me, Daniel. I want you to know, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, you know what? Our God is able, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we'll never bow. And that is courage. Courage that comes from trusting God alone, fighting with spiritual weapons. Are you fighting in your life just with the wrong weapons? Have you suffered more defeat than victory? Maybe because you've chosen the wrong weapon. God says, listen, this story is so rich and so full. I want you to get it all, and I want you to understand that hope and God provides victory. Always. When we trust in God alone. Thirdly, what I want you to see about hope in this passage, and we're done, is that hope in God is contagious. And that this is a really cool part of the story, so don't miss it. David's hope in God spreads like wildfire immediately. Immediately. Spreads like wildfire. The entire story changes. The narrative takes a completely different tone altogether. It's no longer about defeat, it's about victory. For, uh, up until David leaves and he hastens, and even when he hastens, you're like, <gasps> You can imagine being the army sitting there watching this little dude run out there. And as he goes farther and farther, he looks smaller and smaller. He's running out there and you're like, 
dude, watch this. He's going to get filleted alive. What a dummy. You know what I mean? You, you can just sense the fact that these people who are locked up in fear are going, Those, that guy's bananas. He's crazy. He, this guy's like two and a half times his size. And, and he's a vet. This guy is a rookie slick sleeve going out to battle. He's never been to war in his life. He's running down there with a slingshot. You'd be like laughing. You'd be like taking bets. I, I'll give you 10 to 1. This guy doesn't make it just not even 10 feet from the guy. He's going to get that weaver beam right in his forehead. And we're all going to take off running. Okay, I'll give you 20 to 1. The, the fact of the matter is, everything changes once he lets it go and the giant falls. Look at verse 52. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou, uh, until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Shearim, even unto Gath. And unto Ekron and the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. I want you to see this narrative change. First of all, fear was turned into hope. What was crippling them was changed when they saw the faith of a young man doing something about the situation. The entire army took courage from watching David run down into the valley. What did it give them? It gave them hope. It gave them the hope that they didn't have before because they saw somebody doing something about it. Just like when you see Rocky beat the Russian. And he gets, he's all bloodied up and he's got that American flag on him. You're like, yeah, man, America's the best. Or, 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 or whatever. You just name the underdog story. When you see the odds become in the favor of the underdog, and they win. It just gives you this euphoric feeling inside. Like, we can all do it, man. That's what happened that day. Now, just minutes before, they were taking bets to see David get filleted. Now, all of a sudden, they're like, wow, listen. If God can do it for him, then he can do it for me. I believe in that God. I believe in that God. Yes, I've got to have it from my own experience. By the way, they all got it. You know why? Because they all got out of their caves. They all decided, hey, I, I, I'm going down into the same valley and I'm going in the same name of the God of the armies of Israel and I'm going to trust God. And they won too. That day was not about David's victory. It was about God's victory in the lives of everybody who witnessed it. Fear was turned into faith. It's inspiring to watch someone exercise their faith. It's inspiring to watch people who, in the face of overwhelming odds, stay faithful, and it makes you want to be faithful. Secondly, doubt was turned into faith. Faith, uh, Fear was turned into hope. Doubt was turned into faith. There's something that happens within a fellowship of faith when just one person has the audacity to believe God for great things. The church benefits greatly from just one person with a little hope. Why? Because hope is contagious. It spreads. It spreads. It begins with one person in the congregation who believes that God can use them to lift others up. It starts with one person who wants to see children in the community impacted by vacation Bible school. It takes one person with a heart for overseas missions. It takes one person who believes that prayer changes things. It takes one person committed to reach the lost. 
It could be the spark that ignites the whole congregation of hope. And that person could be you. If you're willing to hope in God. The one spark that lights every other flame could be your trial today. Doesn't matter how big it is. Doesn't matter how far-fetched it is. Doesn't matter how weird it is. It's your trial. But for you to go through it by faith, for you to have that trust in God in the presence of others that know about it, is contagious. Acts eleven twenty three. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Why? For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people were added unto the Lord. Why? Because of one guy. Letter C, idleness became action. Fear became hope. Doubt was turned into faith. Idleness became action. Why? Because the chains of fear are broken by faith in an almighty God of glory. The chains of fear. What are you afraid of? Someone might find out I'm a Christian. Well, I'm sorry, but if you decide to trust the Lord and step out by faith, you may be ridiculed. Welcome to Christianity. You may be persecuted. Welcome to Acts chapter 5. Welcome to Acts chapter 7, 8, and 9. It, it, if you decide to side with God, you're going to be ridiculed. By the way, David hadn't even gone to battle and his own brother said, you're crazy. I know why you've come up here. It's not to do something. It's just because you're proud and you want everybody to pay attention to David. Trust me when I say David was not running down that hill to get attention on himself. He was running down that hill to put attention on God. And he succeeded. And when he did, idleness in everybody else became action. The Bible says, listen, if you go back and read verse 52 carefully, the Bible says the soldiers arose, shouted, and pursued. Those are all verbs. Then, because of that, the Bible says they returned with the rewards of battle. What was that? Spoils. Did you know that God blesses an act of faith? Because faith without works isn't real faith at all. God says, look, I just want you to know that I've not given you the spirit of fear. Instead, I've given you the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. God's not given you the spirit of fear. He didn't give them the spirit of fear either. But something stopped them in the middle of their faith walk. What stopped you? What's keeping you from trusting in the Lord with all your heart today? What has stopped the action? When's the last time you were in action? Because the Bible says, look, I I want you to know, no matter what it is, whether it's sin or whether it's a trial, I've already fought the battle and I've overcome it. And what I'm offering you is hope. I'm offering you the hope of my love that never changes. I'm offering you the hope of my grace that never ceases. I'm offering you the hope of my mercy that never fails. It's good to every generation. And I want to give it to you. But I've got to see somebody stand up. I've got to see somebody say, is there not a cause? Listen to me. The greatest cause on the planet is that others see and hope in God. That they would see that light of faith. That your your, your life would be so in motion that it would inspire others to be in motion. Even though you cannot see how God might work through 
might, uh, I'm sorry, how God might come through for you. Faith is believing that it's still possible. When a whole congregation begins to function that way, that's when the world around us changes. Because of God. I'm about to embark on another flag football season with 10 and 11 year olds. That's a challenge in itself. Last week, I began to lay the groundwork for team success. And today, this afternoon, I'll attempt to further that pursuit in teaching them that team success is only achieved through individual effort. And I'll say it over and over again. Looking each other in the face and being able to say, I have given it everything that I have, I've played my hardest. Trust me when I say when a young boy says, I've played my best to his teammate. Or better, when they look at each other like they did last year and say, I could have played harder. I'm sorry. It's very inspiring. Very inspiring. Would your faith inspire someone around you? Would your faith in God inspire someone around you to action? Or are you feeling like an underdog? Because you may feel that way today. It doesn't matter your age. And this is just huge and I, I can't even see around it. Well, there's hope because there is a God who is greater than your overwhelming odds. His name is Adonai. If you're a child of the living God, his love name is Abba. And he's never going to change. He's always going to be there to offer you hope. My encouragement to you today is just to trust him. Be courageous because there's always hope for the underdog. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, Lord, for your love for us. And uh, Lord, this, this isn't some fictional tale of David and Goliath. Lord, the unsaved world quotes David and Goliath all the time because they know it really happened. Unfortunately, what they don't know is the God that made it happen. And God, the majority of us sitting in this room do know. We know who you are. Unfortunately, God, sometimes in our lack of faith or even in our fear, we forget really who you are. We forget that, Lord, you're the creator of all life. That's true power. You're the giver and taker of it. You're the one that formed us in our bellies. You're the one that created us man and woman. You're the one that came to this earth to die on a cross to save us from our sin and ourselves. You're the one that overcame death. There is nothing that my God cannot do. And yet, Lord, sometimes in the faith of overwhelming circumstances, we forget that. We can even be tempted to forget what you've done in the past. We forget that your promises are still true in the present. Lord, forgive us for our sin of doubt and fear. Forgive us for forgetting. Please help us today. Help the soul that is overwhelmed this morning to find hope in Christ. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wonder this morning if you're here and you're overwhelmed by sin. Maybe you're here and you never trusted Christ as your Savior. You, you've never reconciled your life to God through Christ. And you need to be saved. And you know it. Would today maybe you be the day that you could have your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life? You'd overcome your sin 
by the blood of Christ and be saved. God loves you just like he loves anybody else. Nobody is loved any more or any less because of who we are or what we've done. But because Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave is proof that we all need to be saved. It's not a condition of where I was born or what church I was raised in or how moral I think that I am. Jesus said, I am the only way. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I can't get to heaven but through Christ. And if I don't come through Christ, then I will never be in heaven. That's an undaunting thought. A daunting thought. Well, I I thought I was going to heaven this whole time, and now you're telling me that the Bible says no. That's a pretty, pretty big giant. But I promise you that that giant is dead. Jesus Christ slayed him because he knows that you couldn't defeat him. Just like David. Today, maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I'd like to know how to be saved today. I'd like to have my sins forgiven, have a home in heaven. Would you pray for me? With nobody looking around, would you just slip up your hand real quick? Pastor, pray for me. I'd like to know how I could go to heaven today. That giant has been defeated, and I want to take the spoils, the grace of God. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Anybody like that? Real quick. Christian, you may be overwhelmed. You may have a giant sitting right in your, maybe waiting for you in your mailbox. Maybe waiting for you at home. I don't know. But if you feel overwhelmed because of circumstances that face you, could I just promise you on the authority of the Word of God and the testimony of David, a little shepherd boy, that God is faithful, that He can do all things, and that He will to those that trust Him. He directed David's path to go right where he needed to go, And David won because of God. Maybe today you need to lay your overwhelming odds before the Lord and say, God, I I can't defeat this giant without you. I I can't get off. Maybe you can't get off the hill. Maybe you're you're stuck in fear mode. Boy, fear is being peddled all over the world right now. What Christians need is hope. What you need to know when you go to work tomorrow, when you pillow your head tonight, even at lunch, you need to know, and you need to look around at the people that have no hope, and you need to remember that you, because you're a Christian, have the hope and assurance of God. That's enough to change a day. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed? I just want to offer this this morning. If you need to come to this altar and pray, I want to ask you to come right now and just find a place right here by yourself and pray It may be for you, it may be for someone else, but let's just take our burdens before the Lord as we pray here this morning. You come as God leads. Father, I pray now that you'd please bless this time. Lord, I don't know the hearts of your people, but you do. And I trust that you will lead, that you will guide, that you'll restore, that you'll encourage today. Lord, I pray that every one of us as Christians will be able to look at each other in the face and say, I gave it all to God today. I can do all things through Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd be pleased with that faith. Please bless this time now briefly in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need to come today, just come. Just come. There's nobody going to beray you because you took more time. Because of your willingness to, to be courageous for Christ. 